Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm happy to welcome our speaker tonight, Sandy from New York City. Hi everyone, I'm Sandy and I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Hi everybody, it's nice to see the faces. Woohoo! <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna spend five minutes talking about our big red book. Um, AA has their big blue book and I'm grateful that we have our own literature. Um, I, um, I came in recovery when I was 21 and I was the only young person of color at the meeting and everybody was very welcoming and matter of fact they didn't have ACA back then when I went it was Al-Anon um, with that said in, in the 1980s when I came there was a whole big movement a big self-help movement because all the alcoholics were getting help but what happened, what, you know, there was not a lot of places for adult children to go to to get help. I'm lucky that I live in New York City and New York City has the best mental health and they do all kinds of wild researches. And, and anyway, um, the Karen Foundation and Smithers had a clinic for the adult children. And that's where I went to get codependency treatment. Thank God I did that. <laughs> and I did that in conjunction with meetings. I met Tony A. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. You know, um, it was a casual conversation. I met him in the West Side. And we talked about the laundry list. I read it. We talked about it. And at that time, I was still going to Al-Anon. But I felt there was some, there was a disconnect and Tony and I had that conversation, by the way, that there were certain topics I couldn't talk about. Like, for instance, incest, taboo. Uh, I couldn't talk about rage, taboo. I couldn't talk about a lot of things. <laughs> and I had to be happy when I wasn't feeling happy. And everything, you know, in a way, I'm glad that I ease into feeling. It took me about 10 years to solidify certain things. Like, for instance, the higher power. Uh, my first sponsor that I got my second year of recovery, I told her, we, we talked, and I realized that I came in recovery not, not because I was young, but because I didn't know what normal was. I didn't know how to have simple conversations about nothing. Um, I didn't know how to sit in the table with strangers or with friends. Matter of fact, I, I didn't even have a friend. I was 21 and I couldn't, I was scared of my own shadow. I had never had a boyfriend. You know, it sounds weird, but no, it, that's my story. And, um, so me and Tony talked about the laundry list. And I also met another guy in the Navy because in fact, I was in the Navy also. 
and he was doing, he, he's a psychologist and he was doing adult children therapy in the military. He wrote a book, I have the book, and it talks about all kinds of therapeutic things that are done to help adult children reach the milestone. Like for instance, learning to trust, learning to ask questions, learning to, you know, like your gut feeling, like trusting that you're gonna do the right thing, you know, like um, learning how to not abandon yourself. Um, I actually wrote notes because it's a lot of things. And those are things that are basic and those are the kind of things you learn in the home. And if there's too much dysfunction, you don't learn that. Learning how to play, learning how to have fun, uh, learning to have friends. <laughs> uh, it sounds basic, but you know, when you don't meet those milestones, it's complicated. Having boundaries. Knowing to say no and mean no. Um, uh, also, you know, my sponsor and I, she was second year. She, I was angry with God, believe it or not. How can God allow not only me to live with an alcoholic family, but molestation from a mom? Where the fuck was God? And I'm sorry I'm saying the word fuck, but that's the only word I could use. <sighs> anyway, I was cursing God out for about two years. I'm going to be honest. And my, my uh, sponsor, and I had a therapist too, you know, told me that it was okay. And I, no one had ever said that it was okay to curse God out. And she told me, you're still trying to make a connection. And that's what matters. Over time, I learned how to meditate. And that was a godsend. And they were very painful. Very, very painful. Because I had to be still and listen to what was inside. Um, um, I had the same therapist um, from Smithers for 15 years. And she saved my life. She was like the mother I never had. She listened. She knew me inside out. I could never lie to her. Not even a little bit. Because she knew me. And between my therapist and my sponsor, it's almost like they were talk, saying the same things and they had never met. Um, I feel, and this is just my real humble opinion, I met Lois because Lois W, because my sponsor was very into Bedford Hills and going to Stepping Stone. So I went with an open mind. It was a picnic, Lois W picnic, and it still exists to this day. And Lois, I, my self-esteem was so rocky that all I could talk to her was about the flowers in her garden. And it was a nice conversation. And I think Lois didn't have adult children because she didn't have grown, she never, she miscarried all her kids. She never had children. But I know that she would have had it if she had a grown child. Anyway, I'm looking at my notes. 
the, the first 10 years were, were the rockiest. I mean, like if I didn't go crazy, I was telling Virginia, I will never go crazy. Um, I dysregulated, meaning that my emotions were all over the place because I didn't understand a lot of things. Um, I was technically a seven-year-old, you know, emotionally. I had to learn all kinds of things. I mean, things that you think, no big deal. I had to rehearse with my sponsor how I was going to ask the question, how, how to show up and be present at a job. Um, how to have fun. You know, like, um, I was so young that from... From 21 till about 32, I was like a teenager. I learned to swim. I learned to take myself out to a movie by myself. Um, learned to have fun, hiking, go on dates, ask questions. Um, as far as my childhood, um, I'm the first child in... My, I only have a sister, but growing up, I grew up feeling that there was a child missing in the family. I was always looking for her on top of the, under the bathtub, under my bed. And I'm going to make a long story very short. When I left my family of origin at 18, my dreams got so intense that I had to seek help because I thought I was going to go insane. And my mother and I had a big conversation and she's a woman of very few words. And she literally asked me how I knew. And I realized that I knew from the womb because she, she was born a year and a half later from me. And that child exists to this day. And she's a year and a half older than me. I don't know what she looks like. I don't even know her name. And during the pandemic, because my, mo my mother can't hide, she can't fly anywhere, I confronted her again. And the genogram that's in the big red book, I used it to talk to her, to make it very concrete. And it got very concrete very quick. And it was painful to hear how this child came about. Um, Um, she wanted, um, she had four children before I was born, really five. And she was married. She got married at 15. And where she's from, that's normal. Um, and there was this family that needed a child and she gave birth to that child. She was paid to get a divorce. And back then, in the, in the 60s, women that live in the country in Puerto Rico don't get divorces. And she got a divorce and she gave away the child. And she got paid to give birth to the child. Um, during the pandemic, I found this out and I realized something about my mother that she never talked about. She had postpartum depression so bad that she needed help taking care of me. And the molestation that happened to me was because she had a psychotic break. 
Um, anyway, um, okay, my father's story is very kind of crazy, but believe it or not, my, my father was the more normal parent because he, he worked, he had a trade, super smart, um, he could fix anything. Um, he always worked, he was functional. Um, and my mother couldn't cope with his womanizing or whatever it was he was doing. Um, and I was the person that took care of him in the middle of the night to take off his shoes and to listen to what he did. And I gotta be honest with everybody, he partied. And he had fun. He danced. He talked. He would talk to me about the music that they played and people he met. Um, and he womanized. You know, I was the person that took care of his laundry, and the white shirts had lipstick, and that's how I knew. He never said anything to me, but I could tell. Anyway, um, I before I was thirty, I. I only had dated three people and it was very short. The third gentleman that I got married to, I married. I was like 30 years old and it was great. Um, we traveled a lot. And when I traveled, I went to meetings. You know, for anybody who's new, even on cruises, there's meetings. You just have to <laughs> read the fine print in the menu and you'll find it. And it's great. And he wasn't an alcoholic, but I married someone gay. And I got divorced. I had a, I have a son. And I was, um, my son was three when I got divorced. And I prayed to figure out what I was going to do with my son as far as joint custody and I moved in the same neighborhood. So when I was meditating, um, the only word that came in my head was consistency. Children that are young like that need consistency. Same schools, you know, there were two houses, but we were in the same neighborhood. And that helped them a lot. Um, one of the struggles that I still struggle with is trusting women for obvious reasons, you know? I'm working, I'm still working on it. Um, um, let me see what else. Okay. Um, one of the things that came up in my family of origin with my father, and I don't talk about this too often because it's, as bizarre as it gets. My, my grandfather, he's an only child. <clears throat> and he, he was an entrepreneur. And he partied like an animal. And he had children out of wetlock. Um, about 12 children out of wetlock. And he took care of all of them. And he never married any of the women he was with. Um, my grandmother was young, 
but she got married to my grandfather. And when he was dying, she had an affair and she got pregnant and my, my father gave her a beating. And how that came about, that conversation, my father was drinking for two weeks in a row and I was getting up to take care of him. And he told me, he sobbed like a child. And I had to console my dad because he could barely, and I kept that in my memory bank. And when I went to therapy, it came out. And it was pretty, um, pretty significant because my father hated women. And I turned out to be a girl, a bossy girl. <laughs> anyway, that's a good thing when you grow up with a father like mine. He used to come to my, come to the house and call, there's three girls in the house, call us all hoers and bitches. And, you know, I grew up to be a feminist and I mean in a kind way. And I kind of reminded him, I'm the bitch that does your clothes. I'm the bitch that does your laundry and cooks the meal. And that's why the house looks so clean. You can't do that here. And he never did it again. Anyway, as my father's alcoholism progressed, my mother was having breakdowns. So I became her nurse. And one day, I was about 16. I've had, I about had it with my dad. I mean, I just, I couldn't take, he was doing coke around this time. And he was as bizarre. Alcohol was okay. Coke and alcohol, that is one, I didn't know who my father was. And I studied around five o'clock in the morning because it was quiet and I could really concentrate. And he came in pretty crazy around six in the morning and we got into an altercation and I hit him with a frying pan and he was unconscious for a while. And when he got up, I told him that I'm, next time he pulls that charade, I'm gonna kill him. And that day I realized I had become my dad. And you know, I packed his clothes and he moved out. And shortly after that, unbeknownst to me, he got sober. He was, he actually, um, when I was getting married at 30, he asked to see me because he got electrocuted. And, you know, we talked and he told me that I was the only person that got through because I was always very patient with him. He could talk to me about anything and I was cool with it. I just, I, I never judged him. I'm a child. I mean, he's my dad. Um, and um, because he never, I was never violent. And to this day, if I could talk my way out of a problem, I will. I don't put my hands on anybody. And um, my father got sober and at 30, he got electrocuted and I was about to get married. I think it was a month. He got electrocuted in 
July and I got married in August. And he, I told him that I had put my life on hold and that I was going to continue my getting married, whether he, whatever, even if he died, I was going to go and do my life. And I did. Um, Anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I'm going to talk about the steps a little bit. Um, I talked about the first step about getting a God of my understanding. The second step about the could restore. <laughs> I have a problem with the word could. When you have, when you grow up with crazy, it's hard to restore something that's never been there. So my theory is that the steps, because they nurture you, they give you, they give you a foundation of trust, of hope, of community, and also a connection with people. Um, it's a corrective experience. So you get to get the things that you didn't get as a child. So you get to change the C drive. <laughs> that's the way I've looked at it. And that's, that, that works for me. Um, the third step is very concrete for me, you know, making a decision. And believe it or not, I do that every morning. I make a decision that, that there's things in my life that are hard, but that I'm, I'm gonna face them a day at a time. And to speak up when it's appropriate, to zip the lip when it's appropriate, to wait for the right time to open my mouth. I have rages. I don't talk about them, but I have them. And sometimes I go for walks because if I say the wrong thing, the person that hurts later is me. And I don't do that. I don't, I try not to, I try to be honorable with people and respectful. Um, Early in recovery, I made amends to my sister because I felt like my sister got more attention than I did. My father favored my sister. Um, and I was jealous. And I, we, we didn't sleep in the same room. Um, I didn't want any part of her. <laughs> we had some serious issues. Um, in my adulthood and being in recovery, I've had to make amends to her and kind of treat her differently. Let her have her own opinions. I'm not her mother because I used to be. Um, she's her own little person and she has the right to live her life the way she wants. Even if I don't agree. Uh, As far as spiritual awakenings, I've had many. You know, the whole idea of connecting with God was so huge. I, um, and also to have some kind of peace in the head. 
Um, when I was in program 15 years, my sponsor died. Um, then a couple months later, my cat died. And then, then my therapist died. Um, a month a month after my son was born. And it was a hard year for me. Um, I found another therapist. I found another sponsor. And I took my son in a papoose to the meetings, to wherever I had to go. And I thank God I did that because that gave me the strength to, um, when my son declined, I found out he had autism. And um, I got him all kinds of help and he's very mainstream and he's very functional in lots of different ways. He no longer lives in the same place he went in the pandemic. So I have an empty nest, but I'm accepting that because he's alive. And I guess that's what really matters. Um, in the book, in the big red book, they talk about emotional sobriety. That's kind of why I'm still coming back because um, I get drunk in my emotions. And one of the ones I get drunk with, self-righteousness. Um, self-righteousness, anger, not being too accepting of, of reality, thinking I know best for people. And I realize I only know what's best for me. And sometimes I struggle with that too. Um, and as far as the inner child, I promised my kid early recovery that no matter how hard things were gonna get, that I was not gonna give up, that I was gonna show up even if it hurt. Um, and that's helped me a lot. You know, I'm a first responder and I've had to wear a hazmat. I've seen lots of deaths, more deaths than I could talk about. How I deal with that, I have PTSD and I have asthma. And I literally have to walk myself down. I haven't had an asthma attack or anything. And I meditate a lot. I, I still go to meetings on Zoom. Uh, still have, I actually have a sponsor. I, I'm still working the steps from the yellow book. Um, and it's been hard, but, you know, I'm still alive. I've never got COVID, not even once. I've been in some scary situations that I could have gotten, but I never got it. So I am um, so grateful to be alive. I mean, I can't even put words into what that is. Um, um, about five years ago, I got diagnosed with something different and I found out something I'll share about it because eventually that's gonna be in this book. It's called Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. And I'm gonna explain what that is. PTSD, you're startled. 
fight or flight. Um, battle fatigue. Complex post-traumatic disorder is I'm pretty resilient, meaning I have figured ways to get through it. It passes, I get back up and I do it again. And then there are periods that nothing um, triggers me and I'm fine. Okay, complex post-traumatic stress disorder is, it's always happening. And I'm rebuilding, 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 rebuilding. Five years ago, I crashed and landed. And I, I, got, I, got, I saw a psychiatrist and he had to put me on some medications for depression and And I felt like I was going to lose my mind. And I didn't. I went to a retreat for adult children in Garrison, New York, called Graymore. And it was, a, it was an adult child's retreat. And I learned a lot of things about myself. Um, being gentle, that it's okay to be resilient. But it's not okay to do it by myself. Um, I'm a tough girl, <laughs> believe me, um, and to allow people to help me. And I don't mean hold my hand, I mean be there, support me. Um, and I've had to kind of allow that to happen. And it's been great. It's been really great. Um, my father died. Um, matter of fact, my father when when my father died when I got divorced. He died in July and I got divorced in August. And I didn't feel anything. I was numb. And I had cried a lot about what I didn't get growing up from him. And I got my father was very violent with me. There was a lot of physical abuse. And then the whole thing about me being a girl. And, you know, he just wasn't, he hated women. Um, so, okay. <laughs> I... I sponsor one person right now. Um, and that's the only, you know, that's kind of the only time I have is one person. Because I'm going to be honest with everybody, I'm a full-time job. <laughs> I mean, full-time, full-time. Um, as far as the... The laundry list, um, <laughs> addicted to excitement. That's why I put the hazmat. I hate to say it, but yeah, that's, and I'm very adventurous still. <laughs> but there's some part of me that has wonderment in that excitement. Traveling, meeting, meeting all kinds of people, speaking to strangers, um, one of the things that I learned about myself in recovery is that, that I love people. 
that I really care about people and it's not made up. Um, I have, you know, when I was um, figuring out what kind of hobbies I like, um, I still have those hobbies. They keep me from going cuckoo in the head. Um, I like to dance. I like to cook, gourmet cook. I'm a bit of a I'm I'm a bit of a comedian. <laughs> I have a funny bone. Um, I am trying to not have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Um, so I've kind of I'm letting go more and more as I'm aging. I know I don't look old, but I am. And I think I stay young because my inner, my inner child's always with me. And I'm not afraid to laugh, to hug people, um, to be present. Um, I, um, I'm going to read something that Carl Jung wrote to Bill W. Um, and it has a little to do with adult children. And he wrote to Bill W. in a letter that craving for alcohol was the equivalent to, um, to a spiritual threat to, our, to his being to connect with God, kind of like the wholeness. And he was the first psychiatrist that realized that alcoholism was not just physical, but it was mental and spiritual. And, and, and that the thirst for connection, and that's what was missing in me too. The thirst of community, the, the thirst of um, a mirror, you know, because I, because I didn't get the mirroring from my mother. Um, I didn't recognize that, you know, I just, no reference. So I'm glad I had female therapists early on. Now I have a male therapist and it's great. And I even have a male sponsor and that's great too. Um, in this book, <laughs> there, there is a writer and one section of this, it talks about the inner self and the inner child. And, um, and it's called the drama of the gifted child the search for the truth self. And she's the first, you know, one of the first pioneers that realized that the child is a real thing. It's not an imaginary nothing, it's real. And I've read other things from other countries and they honor that person inside. And, you know, um, I've devoted 40 years to honoring that person in me that wanted freedom. And that's all I wanted, freedom to express, freedom to run. To this day, <laughs> I don't know how to ride a bike because my father didn't think it was the girl thing to do. But before I die, even if I have to get an adult three-wheeler, I'm gonna get on. <laughs> and I have a feeling I'm gonna be a wild child. 
So, you know, I think that's it. But, you know, I, I, I feel, believe it or not, that I just scratched the surface. I'm not done. I'm not one of these old timers that feels like they figured it all out. There's more. And when I grow up, there's gonna be a chapter in here that doesn't exist. You know why? Because you know what's to be lost. And I know what it's to suffer. I don't suffer anymore. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. 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 Thank you. 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 Thank you.